Welcome to the study of God's Word, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, let's open our Bibles and study God's Word. If you would, turn with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 20 this morning, 2 Chronicles chapter 20. The title of this morning's message, I Don't Know What to Do. How many of you have been in a situation or are in a situation where you don't know what to do? A lot of hands. Maybe you are in a situation where you don't know what to do with your life. Maybe you went through a breakup and all your friends are in a relationship. Maybe you've lost your job and you don't know what to do. Maybe you have a child that's addicted to drugs and you don't know what to do. Perhaps your relationship with Jesus Christ is stagnant and you don't know what to do. This morning, I want to give you some principles from 2 Chronicles chapter 20 that will help you to overcome because we have all been in situations where we don't know what to do. And God tells us when we are in those situations what to do. And Jehoshaphat was in a situation where he said, Lord, I don't know what to do. But there are some principles in this chapter that will help us when we are in that situation. So let's read 2 Chronicles 20, verse 1 through 4. It happened after this that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others with them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria, and they are in Hazazan Tamar, which is En Gedi. And Jehoshaphat feared. He freaked out. And he set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed to fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord. And from all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you are doing at this moment in time. Thank you, Father, for the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Thank you for your love, your unconditional love. Thank you that you are our help in time of need. Thank you that you give hope to the hopeless. Thank you that you bring healing to the hurt. Thank you, Father, that you bring transformation. You transform us. We thank you that you conform us into the image of Jesus Christ. I thank you, Lord, that we aren't just overcomers, but we are more than overcomers. I thank you, Father, that you live inside of us, and greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Lord, I pray this morning that you would pour out your spirit upon us, that we would have a touch from heaven, 
I pray that you would revive, O Lord, according to your word, according to your kindness. I pray, God, that you would awaken the sleeper, that you would bring forth spiritual awakening. I pray that we would be encouraged, that we'd, built, we'd be built up in our most holy faith. I pray that we would keep ourselves in the love of God, praying in the Holy Spirit, looking for the mercy and the return of Jesus Christ. I pray, God, that you would do only what you can do in this place this morning because you are God and we are not. We need you. God, we're poor and needy. We can't do anything apart from you. And so, God, we ask you now to work and to write the word of God on the tablets of our heart. Change us. Bring forth new birth, new life, and bring forth, God, great strength from heaven above in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. In verse 1, it says that the battle came to Jehoshaphat. The battle came to Jehoshaphat. The Ammonites, the Moabites, they all came out to battle against Jehoshaphat. As you and I know, the battle is real. We are in a battle. The struggle is real. And the enemy battles against us. The enemy does not want us to succeed, just like he didn't want Jehoshaphat to succeed. And so therefore, the battle was coming against Jehoshaphat. We have a real enemy, and we know what Jesus said about him. The enemy has come to steal. He's come to kill. He's come to destroy. He's like a roaring lion. He has come to devour. And he, as a Christian... He doesn't want you to succeed in Christ. He doesn't want me to succeed in Christ. He doesn't want us to prosper spiritually. He doesn't want your families to be grounded and rooted in the Lord. He doesn't want you to have the presence of Jesus. And so the enemy, he's always on a rampage. He's always battling and he seeks to battle against our minds. He wants to distract us. He wants to distort our minds. He doesn't want our minds to be set on those things which are above, but he wants our minds to be set on fleshly things, worldly things, circumstances, situations, government, or whatever it might be. And so he's constantly firing those darts and attacking our minds. The battle is real. Just like with Jehoshaphat, the battle came against him. The battle was to destroy him, to take him and God's people out of the land, to remove them. Now, before we look at what Jehoshaphat did or how he responded to the battle news, I want to just kind of give you a background on who Jehoshaphat was. In 2 Chronicles chapter 17, it says that the Lord was with Jehoshaphat and that Jehoshaphat sought the God of his father, and Jehoshaphat walked in his commandments. So 2 Chronicles tells us, chapter 17, that Jehoshaphat, that the Lord was with him. The Lord was with Jehoshaphat in the battle. God is with you in the battle. God is in you, God is with you, and God is for you. That's such good news. God is in you if you've been born again. God is with you and God is 
for you. And God was with Jehoshaphat and Jehoshaphat sought the Lord and he walked in the commandments of God. He was a man who walked in the ways of the Lord. And it says, therefore, the Lord established the kingdom in his hand. God established the kingdom in his hand. It's the Lord who establishes us. It's the Lord who strengthens us. It's the Lord who settles us. And our establishment comes from the establishment of the Lord. He is the one who establishes us. Without him, we can't do anything. Another thing that we learn about Jehoshaphat is that his heart took delight in the ways of the Lord. I love that. His heart took delight in the ways of the Lord. And the Bible says in Psalm 37 that if we delight ourselves in the Lord, he will give us the desires of our heart. Delight yourself in the Lord. Cultivate your faith. Build yourself up in your most holy faith as the book of Jude says. Delight in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of of your heart, and Jehoshaphat took delight in the Lord because the Lord was his delight. Is Jesus Christ your delight? Are you delighting in Jesus? Are you spending time in his presence? His heart took delight in the ways of the Lord. In 2 Chronicles 19.9, Jehoshaphat called upon the leaders to always act in the fear of the Lord with faithfulness and an undivided heart. And he concluded in that chapter by telling his leaders, may the Lord be with those who do what is right. Jehoshaphat had success because God was with him. And I love that he called upon the leaders to always act in the fear of the Lord. Have, fe have the fear of God, have the reverence of God, always act in the fear of the Lord with faithfulness, be faithful to the Lord. Be faithful to the Lord. Be sold out. Give 100% and do it, as Jehoshaphat said to his leaders, with an undivided heart. God doesn't want our heart to be divided. He wants all of our heart. He wants us to love him with all of our heart. As Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart. In whatever you do, do heartily. Do it with all your heart as unto the Lord. Pour out. Give God all of your heart. He doesn't want a piece of your heart. He doesn't want half of your heart. He wants all of your heart. And he called upon his leaders to act in faithfulness with an undivided heart. And he told them to behave courageously. Behave courageously. We need courage today. We need strong spines. We need strong backbones. As God told Joshua, be strong and be courageous. And then he said, be very courageous. We need courage. And Jehoshaphat called upon the leaders to behave courageously. He was an amazing man of God. Now, Jehoshaphat was a bright light against the dark paganism that existed during his time. Doesn't that sound like our world today? There's a lot of dark paganism that's existing during our time today. Jehoshaphat was a bright light in that time. And, and 
we are called to be a bright light today. We are shining as lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Jesus said, let your light so shine that men may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Shine your light. Don't hide the light of Jesus. God has called us to dispel the darkness by going into the darkness, by shining the light. We aren't to run from the darkness, but we are to run into it, and we are to shine the light of Jesus and Jehoshaphat, he was a bright light in the midst of extreme paganism, in the midst of darkness. He brought the light of God into that culture, and God has called us to do that today. However, he wasn't perfect, and he messed up big time, but his faith in God brought good to him and God's people during his reign. Now, how did Jehoshaphat respond to the news that the armies, the enemies were marching toward him? How did he respond when he heard that bad news? Notice verse 3. And Jehoshaphat feared. Jehoshaphat feared. That's how he responded. When he heard that the enemies were marching toward them, to destroy them, to kick them out of God's land. He feared. He was terrified. He trembled. He was troubled. He freaked out. And you and I, when we are faced with difficulties, when bad news comes our way, or something tragic happens in our life, or things go haywire, Fear has a way of creeping in. Fear has a way of, of coming in and it, it terrifies and it can trouble us and it can overtake us. And we have to remember that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. A few years ago, I had a retinal detachment. It was a freak accident. Now, don't worry, my wife didn't punch me in my right eye. She didn't do anything like that. I wasn't in a boxing match or anything. We were in Israel, and we had four days left, and I noticed in my right eye that I started experiencing this black curtain, and it, it got worse. It went from bad to worse, and by the time we left, when I looked at my wife's forehead, I could see about that much of her forehead. That was the only vision that I had left, and it was freaky, and I could feel the panic going on and and I could feel at times that that fear starting to rise and I knew we had to fly from Israel back to the United States and I knew that was going to take a long time and I had set up an appointment to see the optometrist the following day but I could feel the panic and the fear and and you start thinking of those things like what if I'm not going to be able to see again what if I can't wink at my beautiful wife again you know, those kinds of things. And you have just that, that those emotions, those thoughts. And, and I had to just preach to myself. And like David, he, he strengthened himself in the Lord. He preached to himself. He proclaimed God's word back to himself. And we have to do that throughout 
the day, throughout the week, and, and the months, we have to preach to ourselves. And so anyways, I got in, and I saw the automatrist. He looked at my eye, and he said, it doesn't look good. And I asked him, I said, do you think I'm going to be able to see again, Doc? And he said, I'm not going to tell you. I, I, I don't know. Go see a specialist. So I went the next day to see a specialist. And by the grace of God, they had one surgery open at the final, at the final surgery of that day. They got me in, did surgery. Came out, everything was good. But then I found out that I had a, a gas uh, bubble in my eye. They put gas in my eye. And the doctor told me, okay, for the next seven days, you have to lay face down, and when you get up, you have to walk face down. Don't, don't look up, because if you do, that gas bubble will explode, and then you will lose your eye completely. So here I am, face down for seven days, almost 24 hours out of the day. And the enemy's messing with my mind. And the enemy's throwing darts at my mind, and I'm fighting off this, this fear and this panic with the word of God just preaching to myself, reminding myself of God's promises. And as I did that, the enemy, he, he fled because he doesn't want to be around the power of God's word. But that fear, it comes in. And when you don't know what to do or, or you don't know how things are going to turn out, the enemy has a way of bringing fear into our lives. Fear is defined as a painful emotion or passion excited by an expectation of evil or the apprehension of impending danger. Fear will mess you up. Fear will mess you up. The Bible says that the fear of man brings a snare. The byproduct of fear is anxiety, panic, depression, and fear messes with your mind. It clouds your mind, and you can't think clearly. Fear will keep you in a state where you don't know what to do. And what did God's word, what does God's word say to us in 1 John 4, 18? There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear because fear involves torment. Fear will torment you. Fear will tear you up. And that's why we need to remind ourselves that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. Isn't that good news? That God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and a sound mind. We can overcome because of the perfect love of Jesus Christ. God's perfect love casts out all fear. How do we face our fears? We face our fears by faith. We fight fear with faith. That's how we face our fears, by faith. We stare our fears in the face by faith and we overcome. We don't allow fear to get the best of us. We don't allow fear to torment us or tear us up. We don't allow fear to paralyze us because we face those fears by faith. And when you're fearful, face those fears and walk through them and watch God do great and mighty things as you face them and as you walk through them and as you overcome them through the power of Jesus Christ. Another way is by remembering who God is. In Genesis chapter 15, 
God speaking to Abram or Abraham. He said, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. If you have had fear, you're in good company because men like Abraham, Jehoshaphat, Timothy, many others in the Bible faced bouts with fear, but they were able to overcome. And God told Abram, do not be afraid. I got you. I'll take care of you and I will protect you. Don't allow fear to overcome you. And when Jehoshaphat heard the news, he feared. And notice what else he did in verse 3. And he set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. He feared, but he didn't stay stuck in that fear. He then sought the Lord. He cried out to God. As we will read here in a few, in a few minutes, he prayed to God. He, he poured out his heart in prayer, and God heard the cry of his heart. He also called for a fast. Fasting is simply letting go of the physical arena in order to focus in on the spiritual arena. Jesus said, when you fast, when you fast, not if, but when, when we fast, we draw closer to the Lord. And when we fast, we deny our flesh. And when we fast, we depend upon the Lord. It shows the Lord that we are depending upon him. So fasting is simply letting go of the physical arena in order to focus in on the spiritual arena. We do it to come into the presence of the Lord to experience his presence and to experience his power. And it was, he called for a fast because it was a time of desperation. It was a time of desperation, just like Nehemiah fasted in a time of desperation. Daniel fasted in a time of desperation. And we're living in those times of desperation where we need to seek the Lord, where we need to fast and proclaim, and we need to let go of the, the physical, and we need to come into the spiritual realm and seek the presence of the Lord and, and so we can depend upon the Lord. What did the people do? They gathered together, verse 4. So Judah gathered together to ask count from the Lord, and from all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. I love that the people gathered together to ask count from the Lord. When the battle is raging and when fear is on the rise, we need to come together. Now is not the time to pull away, but now is the time to pull together and to ask help from the Lord, they gathered together. They didn't go to their, to their homes and hide out, but they, they gathered together and they cried out and they asked help from the Lord. God has called us to gather together. We're better together. When we're united, we're stronger. When we are a team working together for the cause of Jesus Christ, moving forward in the same direction with our eyes on Jesus, our hands on the plow, moving as a team 
in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, teaching others God's word, praying together, helping each other, coming together, pulling together. Man, God does powerful things. You, you see it in the book of Acts. I, I know you guys are going through the book of Acts on Sunday. When you look at the early church, they gathered together often. They came together in one accord. When they were faced with persecution, when the authorities were persecuting and coming against them and trying to, to destroy them because they were preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. They told them to stop preaching. What did God's people do? They went to their companions. They gathered together and they asked the Lord to give them boldness to speak the word of God in power. They didn't retreat. They didn't step back. They stepped up and they said, Lord, give me boldness. Give me power to speak your name. And God gave them boldness. They gathered together. There's power when we gather together. And since the enemy is always attacking us, we are better together. And we need to be united. We need to be working together, praying together, praying for one another, doing church together, doing life together, being the church together, and moving forward together. And I love that they gathered together. They didn't pull away, but they came together. Another thing that Josiah did is he prayed in times of uncertainty and unpredictability. There was a lot of uncertainty and things were unpredictable. Let's check out his prayer, beginning in verse 5 through verse 12. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, check out this prayer, and said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand, is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever? When I read that, your friend forever, I just go like, ah. That feels so good. Your friend forever. Abraham was God's friend forever. Jesus calls us friends. If you've given your life to Jesus, if you've been born again, you are a friend of God. And a friend sticks closer than a brother. We are God's friends forever because we will be spending eternity with him forever. Therefore, we are his friends forever. I love that part of his prayer. Abraham, your friend forever. Are you a friend of God forever? If not, you can become a friend of God forever by giving your life to Jesus Christ, by turning from your sins and coming to faith in Jesus Christ, and then you can become a friend of God. Notice the prayer goes on in verse 8, and they dwell in it and have built you a sanctuary in it for your name, saying if disaster comes upon us, whether it be through sword, judgment, 
pestilence or famine. We will stand before this temple and in your presence, in your presence, for your name is in this temple. Your name is in this house. Your name is in this place. And we will cry out to you in our affliction and you will hear and save. And now, here are the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt. But they turned from them and did not destroy them. Here they are, rewarding us by coming to throw us out of, out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. O oh, our God, will you not judge them? Oh, our God, will you not judge them? I love this prayer. Jehoshaphat did not know what to do. And when you don't know what to do, pray. Pray and wait. Pray and wait. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Pray in times of uncertainty. Pray in times of unpredictability. Are you in a time of uncertainty right now? Are you living in a time of uncertainty right now? Our country is in a time of uncertainty. There's nothing certain in our country right now. We don't know what's going to happen from one day to the next. And when there are times of uncertainty, people freak out. People run to pills, they run to drugs, they run to things that, that could help them to cope rather than running to the certain, to the certain God, re rather than running to God who gives us certainty in the midst of uncertainty. God is certain, even though times are uncertain. God is certain. That's why we trust in the Lord with all of our heart. That's why we lean not on our own understanding. That's why we acknowledge God in all of our ways. That's why we build our life upon the solid rock of Jesus Christ because he's our rock and he's our redeemer. And when the storms come and when uncertainties flood in, we are certain because our certainty is in Jesus Christ. We don't trust in uncertain riches, but we trust in the living God who's given us all things through his divine power that pertains to life and godliness, we have certainty in Christ. If you're shaken and you're uncertain and you haven't put your certainty in Christ, give your life to Jesus Christ and you will find certainty in your life and in the things that you are going through. Certainty is found in a certain God. Not only that, but there were times of unpredictability. He's praying in these times of unpredictability. We don't know what's going to happen. Things are so unpredictable. But guess who's on the throne? Jesus Christ. He rules and reigns. Things may be falling apart according to the world's ways, but things are falling together according to the plan of Jesus because Jesus said that these times would come, that men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, headstrong, violent, haughty having a form of godliness, but denying the power of God. Jesus said that these times would come. There would be times of unpredictability, but we know what Jesus has said. Jesus said he's coming again. We know what is going to come. We have 
victory. Thanks be to God who has given us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, in times of uncertainty and in times of unpredictability, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the Lord, knowing that whatever you do for Jesus is not in vain. Jehoshaphat poured out his heart in times of uncertainty and in times of unpredictability. He poured out his heart. And I love his prayer. He said, God, you rule. God, you rule. God, you are powerful and mighty. God, no one is able to withstand you. And God, your track record is good. You drove out the enemies in the past and you can do it again. God, you drove out the enemies in the past and you can do it again. If you did it then, you can do it today. God hasn't changed. He's the same today as he was yesterday. God is still in the business of performing miracles. God is still saving and transforming lives today. God is the same. He doesn't change. He can part the waters for you. He can do something unbelievable, unmistakable. God can restore your marriage. God can restore your relationships. God can bring your prodigals home. God can deliver your family and your friends from the power of sin, from the presence of sin, from addiction or from whatever it is. God has the power to deliver Believe in Jesus. It's not by might nor by power, but by the Holy Spirit, saith the Lord. God, your track record is good. You drove out the enemies in the past. You'll do it again. And we need, the, we need God to drive the enemies out of our families, out of our lives. We need God to drive them out because the enemy, he's a, like a roaring lion. He's come, to steal, he's come to steal, kill, and destroy. He's come to devour we need to raise up the standard. And how do we do that? By raising up the word of God in our homes, raising up the standard in our homes. I love that he said, if disaster comes upon us, whether it be through sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, he said, here's what we will do. We will cry out in our affliction. And you will hear and you will save. God, we know that no matter what comes our way, you will hear and you will save. That's faith. God, no matter what comes our way, sword, pestilence, famine, disaster, whatever comes our way, we are going to cry out in our affliction. How many of you know that God comforts those who are in affliction? God comforts us when we are afflicted. He's the God of all comfort. He's the Father of mercies. He comes alongside of us and he comforts us. But I love his faith. No matter what comes our way, you will hear and you will save. God hears. Why? Because God is a God who's not dead. God is alive. We serve the only God that has only resurrected from the grave. That's Jesus Christ. God hears and God saves. He's in the business of saving. He can save you today. He hears and he saves. And I love this poured out prayer. It's faith. As the Bible says in Hebrews eleven six. but without faith, it is impossible to please him. It is impossible to please him without faith. We must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. 
Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So if we don't have faith, it's impossible to please him. But we must believe, believe, have faith. We must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He had faith in his prayer. And when we pray, we need to pray in faith. And he said, oh, our God, will you not judge them? And notice the second part of verse 12, for we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us. God, we don't have any power. We don't know what to do. We don't have the power. We need your power. If we don't have the power of God, we'll be defeated. Paul the apostle said, when I am weak, he is strong. He also said in Ephesians, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. We can't fight the battle without the Lord's power. We need his power. He recognized, God, we don't have the power. Our power is not in us. Our power is not in our military. Our power is not in our might. Our power is not in our resources. Our power is not in our bank accounts. Our power is not in our education. Our power is in Almighty God who gives us the power. He is our power. Are you connected to the power of God through prayer? Are you coming into his presence? Are you connected to the power of his word? Because the word of God is powerful. It's active. It's sharper than the sharpest knife. It will revolutionize your life. It will it'll change you radically. It will revive you, as the Bible says. Revive us, O Lord, according to the power of your word. But we need to be connected to his power, to his word in prayer by spending time and opening up the word of God. Are you losing the battle? Could it be that you are depending upon your power and not God's power? 2 Corinthians 10.4 says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. The weapons of our warfare, the weapons of our battles, they're not carnal, they're not fleshly, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. And he recognized and he cried out and he said, God, we don't have any power. And then notice what he also said in that verse. For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do. Nor do we know what to do. Lord, we don't know what to do. You might be walking through a health crisis. You might have gone through a recent divorce, bankruptcy, depression, loss of a loved one. You might have someone that is badgering you, bullying you, giving you a hard time, making fun of you, mocking you. Over the last couple of years, we've been in situations where we didn't know what to do. And this is when we have the tendency to put our eyes on the situation, the circumstance, on people, rather than putting our eyes on the Lord and like Peter the Apostle, when he, God told, when Jesus told him to get out of the boat and walk on the water, he got out and he started walking on the water. And then he took his eyes off of Jesus and he put his eyes on the waves and the winds, on the storm, and he began to sink. 
he began to sink. Jesus, because he's so gracious, lifted him up. If it would have been one of us, we might have said, just let him sink for a while. Let him go down a lot deeper and, and cry out. But when he took his eyes off of Jesus, he began to sink. And we have a tendency when we don't know what to do. We have a tendency to do what we think is best. We have a tendency to be wise in our own opinion. We have a tendency to do what we think is right rather than what God thinks is right. And when we do that, we take our eyes off of the Lord. In this battle that we face, we can't lose sight of Jesus. We need to put our eyes on Jesus. And as Jehoshaphat said here, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Lord, I don't know what to do, and that's okay, but my eyes are on you. I don't know what to do, but my eyes are upon you because I know if my eyes are on you, I know you know what to do. And I know that you will tell me what to do. You will order my steps. You will give me guidance and direction. And so if my eyes are on you, I know that you know what to do. Therefore, I'm going to keep my eyes on you. If your eyes are on Jesus, God will see you through. If you've taken your eyes off the Lord, put them back on him. Ask God to correct your vision. Go to, go to the optometrist. Go to the word of God, and God will correct your vision. God will give you fresh eyes, dove eyes. He'll show you what to do, even if it's day by day, even if it's moment by moment. God will show you what to do. And we need our vision to be corrected at times because we take our eyes off the author and the finisher, the perfecter of our faith, and we put our eyes on things that we ought not to be putting our eyes on. We put our eyes on worthless things rather than on worthy things like Jesus Christ who's worthy. We need to fix our eyes upon Jesus Christ and God will correct our vision. Take your eyes off of yourself. Take your eyes off of your circumstances. Turn from your sin, and God will give you fresh vision. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you because, God, you know what to do. You know what to do. And that's where we want to be. We want to be in his presence. We want to have our eyes on him because we know that he knows what to do. Not only do we need to put our eyes on Jesus, not only do we need to fix our eyes on those things which are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, but when we don't know what to do, we, we need also the power of the Holy Spirit. Notice verse 14. Then the Spirit of the Lord, verse 13, excuse me, but all Judah with their little ones, their little bambinos, their little ninos, their little ones, their wives, and their children stood before the Lord. That's always a good place to stand, before the Lord. They stood before the Lord. Then, then, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehazel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benio. Oh, it doesn't say that. 
the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. And he said, listen, all of you Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and you, the spirit of the Lord came upon him and notice who he's now speaking to the, to the king. And you, King Jehoshaphat, God had a word for King Jehoshaphat from a man who was filled with the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God came upon him, and this man had a word for King Jehoshaphat, who was terrified, who didn't know what to do. And he said, now you, King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid or dismayed because of this great battle, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. They will surely come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Wow, this man was filled with the Spirit, and he spoke in the Spirit. You and I as a church, we need that outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We need a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. As Paul the Apostle said, be filled with, with the Holy Spirit. Be filled, be filled over and over again with the Holy Spirit. Be ye filled with the Spirit of God. We need that fresh filling in order to overcome, to have victory in those areas in our lives where we've been defeated. If you want to have victory over failure, ask the Holy Spirit to empower you, to fill you so that you might overcome. But I love that this man spoke in the Spirit of God, and he said, do not be afraid or dismayed. Dismayed means to be shattered or deprived of courage. Jehoshaphat was shattered. He was deprived of courage, and he said, in the Spirit, the battle is not yours, but it's God. The battle belongs to the Lord. All you will need to do is stand still. See the salvation of the Lord. Position yourself. Seek those things which are above. Get your eyes back on the Lord. Let the Lord fight the battle for you because he ultimately is the conquering king and is the conquering king. You're not going to need to fight in this battle. We need the power of the Holy Spirit when we don't know what to do. And finally, we need praise. We need praise. Verse 18 or verse 19. Then the Levites of the children of the Kohites and of the children of the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with voices loud and high. So they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Notice the faith that he spoke. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, and you shall prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those, check this out, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord. The Lord loves praise. 
He appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of holiness. As they went out before the army and were saying, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Now when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. They were defeated. Praise. These guys are surrounded by enemy forces. And what does Jehoshaphat do? Jehoshaphat sends out the choir first. The choir was armed with nothing but worship and praise. They were armed with nothing but worship and praise. When we praise, God Almighty, praise puts the enemy to flight because he hates when we sing and praise, when we worship Jesus as a lifestyle. The choir was armed with nothing but worship. That's insane. But to the Lord, but not to the Lord, because the Lord puts the enemy to flight through the power of praise. I was listening to this worship song the other day, and it says, I, I will praise before my breakthrough till my song becomes my triumph. I'll praise before my breakthrough till my song becomes my triumph. Our praise to God is more powerful than we realize. We need to put praise into practice and we need to lift up the name of God Almighty through the power of praise and it puts the enemy to flight. If you're in a situation where you don't know what to do, don't panic. Instead, pray and ask God to fill you with the power of his Holy Spirit so that you could overcome. Put your eyes on Jesus and finally praise the Lord. I'll praise before my breakthrough till my song becomes my triumph. If you don't know what to do, now you know what to do from these verses, from this scripture. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.